You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. And uh, as, I, as I look across the, uh, the audience today, I see a lot of folks that, you know, it's when, you, when you pastor for a while, and I've been here for at least 14 years, and some of you have been, been with us for that long, too. And you're probably wondering why I'm still here. <laughs> but um, it's been such a joy. And on occasions like this, I just need to express my gratitude that, um, you know, the Lord has done a lot of things in our lives through you. And as much as, you know, sometimes I get people, and even our pastoral team, I hear how people, you know, want to express the blessing that they've um, that our pastoral team has been, that I've been in their lives, but I just want you to know that you've been a blessing to me. You've been a blessing to our family. And uh, so on this Christmas Eve, uh, thank you so much. I was thinking this morning about, well, before I get into this, I, I don't know if you knew it today, but if you were given a candle, it's because you're going to use it a little later on. So if you don't have a can, like an electric candle, uh, just raise your hand and do we still have more? Okay, raise your hand and make sure you get one, and one of our ushers will give you one. Perfect. Okay, so this little talk that I'm going to give is really just in preparation for our time together in our candlelight um, moment before the Lord. So, so just have those things ready. I found um, myself thinking in preparation for this about what Christmas was like for me growing up, and you can probably relate to this, that your experience of Christmas kind of evolves as you grow older, right? Like, you don't get as excited about Christmas as uh, you did when you were a kid. Um, in fact, uh, I was a little concerned the other day because we were talking about it with my kids, and my son, my youngest son, he's 10 years old, said to me, Dad, he said, I think Santa Claus still has a function. <laughs> now, Mind you, I'm thinking, we already told our kids about this, okay? Now, if you haven't yet, as a, as a parent, I'm so sorry if I spoiled anything for you, okay? Or for your kids who may be listening. But I was concerned because my son said, Dad, I think Santa Claus still has a function. Like, like because they've been wanting a dog for Christmas. <laughs> How many of your kids, like, right? Ask for stuff. And so this is a perfect opportunity to, 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 to teach them about how God answers prayer, right? Sometimes God says yes. <laughs> Sometimes God says no. <laughs> and you're about to learn that lesson right now. <laughs> anyway, so we already told our kids, no, no, that's not going to happen, kids, because, you know, you might be allergic to dogs. Right? And I think your mom is allergic to dogs or whatever excuse we gave. But then my son out of the blue goes, Dad, I think, you know, Santa's, like, has a function. Like, he is the one who can get the gifts that you guys can't get us. <laughs> and I went, what? Where did you get that? Like, what podcast have you been listening to? I mean, just like, no, son. Like, Santa is not going to bring you a dog for Christmas, okay? As much as it, it was kind of funny. But it, it reminded me, like, you know, when we were kids, the world was wide open, full of wonder, especially at Christmas time. Like when I was a kid, man, we used to sit in my grandma's living room on Christmas Eve, and my grandma had it all, you know, decked out with trees, and, and we used to sit right next to this uh, old stereo set, and it was an it was it played it was a record player. 
kids who don't know what that is. I wish I could have shown you, but it's, it's in the shape of a circle. <laughs> they used to call it, they still call it an LP, right, an album. You do, did you get that album, that new album? You know, right now, we don't, we don't, like the other day, my son said, what's a cassette player, Dad? And I said, you know what, I need, to, I need to pull out the old cassettes and show him that this is how it used to be. Remember the Sony Walkman, guys? Remember the Sony Walkman? <laughs> Remember trying to work out in the, with the Walkman? It just wasn't working, right? So anyway, we were sitting next to this record player, and, they, and my grandma had just bought this uh, these double-set album of, like, Christmas standards. Christmas, And we would just sit and listen to songs like, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. <laughs> my two front teeth. <laughs> And then we'd listen to songs like the barking dog singing jingle bells, right? <laughs> Just, we were so excited. And then we would stare at our gifts under the tree and be like, what is this, man? I know what this is, you know? And then we'd be so full of wonder. Have you noticed that the older you get, you tend to lose the wonder? Like you're not as captured by Christmas. Now, we have, in this society, we have to, like, pump, we got to have bells and whistles and lights and sensational things to get us all into it, right? Like the other day, I don't know if you've ever been to, is it Candy Treat, Candy Cane Lane? I don't know what it's called. It's in Torrance. It's off PCH. It's this neighborhood that has all the lights. The other day, we were driving to the airport, right? And I was dropping my kids off and wife off to the airport because they're in Alaska. And we were driving and hit traffic on PCH in this odd area. And I'm like, why is there so much traffic here? Because people were lined up trying to get into that neighborhood because they wanted to see the lights. And you know what happens when, that, when you get into all that whole, like, neighborhood with the lights. It's like, oh. Wow, this is awesome. And we, we, want, we need to pump ourselves up to experience awe and wonder at Christmas. But as we get older, we tend to lose it. Life becomes predictable. You know, we work hard at trying to manage and control things so that they'll go our way. Uh, we, we get used to the routine of the daily grind. Or of your family's craziness and all the drama that happens there, right? For some of us, our bodies don't work like they used to. Right? You know, I was at the eye doctor the other day, and they told me for the second year in a row I needed whatever these things are called. But yeah, when you say bifocals, it makes me feel super old, right? <laughs> They're called like progressive lenses or something like that, yeah. And I refused to get them last year. Now my doctor's saying, you know, you really, really need to get these. <laughs> Whatever. My eyes aren't working the way they used to. But listen, I want to um, submit to you today that even as you grow older, you can experience wonder. In fact, the wonder can actually run much deeper as you grow older. Because, here's why, because as you grow older, you start to realize just how much pain and darkness there really is in the world. You, you don't, some of you don't have to look very far. All you got to do is look at your own family. Uh, some of you don't need to look, you just need to turn on the news or turn on the news feed, you know. And we look and we realize, man, this world, this is a broken, broken place, full of darkness. 
And it's in that realization that the, our capacity and our longing and our anticipation for experiencing something better starts to rise in us. It doesn't have to be hopeless, folks. This is the gospel, that in the midst of a dark world, God's light has come. The wonder of light has begun to shine, and God has begun to illuminate our darkness with his light. This is what happened for those who were a part of that first arrival of Jesus, as we just heard read his birth brought about a new wonder. It brought people to new levels of wonder when they encountered his light. Think about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were, um, they, were um, they weren't yet married when Mary announced her pregnancy. Th think about that. Mo most scholars believe that Mary was just a teenage kid when she got pregnant. And imagine in that really conservative culture the shame of announcing that or people finding out about that. Mary did not know how to explain it but to tell her people, hey, an angel, <laughs> I want you to just think about this. If a teenage kid came up to you and said, an angel spoke to me, you, you get it? Like even in this society and culture, you'd go, there's something wrong with you. When was the last time you saw the doctor? You see, so imagine in that society what it might have been like. And so then imagine Joseph, right, having to say, you know what, I'm an honorable man. I'm not going to associate myself with that because that will tarnish my righteous reputation until the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, stick with Mary. So Joseph sticks with Mary, and here they are. Mary's pregnant, and they're walking around going, what do we do now? The object of scandal, criticism, misunderstanding. And on that first Christmas Eve, Joseph and Mary were probably tired, alone. You know, it's one thing to be alone, to feel alone because nobody's around. It's another thing to feel alone when there's a bunch of people around, but nobody believes you. It's a different kind of loneliness. And so Mary and Joseph are probably alone. Their lives have been turned upside down. And watch, while they had been given a miraculous message, the, the mess that they were about to step into, they had not expected. They had to walk through nine months of criticism, misunderstanding, and emotional darkness, of the, the darkness of being culturally stigmatized. Sometimes, folks, the miraculous can get messy. And some of you here are praying for a miracle. If you're praying for a miracle and God begins to answer, don't be surprised when the miracle gets messy. Because sometimes it does, as in the case of Mary and Joseph. And yet, they kept their faith in Jesus, and they didn't allow all the criticism, all the misunderstanding, all the things that people would say and do, and people would post about them and whatnot. They wouldn't let that steal the wonder. In fact, Mary, it says in Luke 2.19, Mary watched what was happening around the birth of her son, 
God's son, and says she treasured, say treasured. She treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Like in spite of all those crazy circumstances, she did not lose the wonder. And the wonder inspired her and Joseph. The wonder of God's light inspired them with a new sense of courage to trust God. Some of you need that right now. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying. I don't know your specific situation, but my guess is that the situations in your life that cause anxiety and fear and trepidation and maybe cause you to want to control things more or maybe cause you to despair, that God does not want you to allow those things to remove or steal the wonder because when you remain in wonder, when you remain in wonder, then you have a better chance of worshiping God through that situation. And trust and faith can, become, can be built in your heart that God will see you through. Hasn't he seen you through before? Come on now. Tell the person next to you, God will see you through. God will see you through. It's okay. Hey, you probably wonder why I tell you to do that all the time. Because you know why? It's better, you learn better when you're preaching the message that I'm giving. Because most of you are going to walk right out of here and forget everything I just said. But when you preach it, when you say it to someone else... So you ever wondered, that's the method behind the madness. <laughs> the wonder of God's light inspires us with new courage to trust God, trust God, trust God. Mary and Joseph trusted God. And then there were the shepherds. Remember those dudes? In all the Christmas plays that I had ever been a part of, in fact, I, I played a shepherd when I was a little kid. And they, they had to coach me how to, how to act scared. Because, <laughs> you know, you, it was the shepherds in that campfire and the angels came and, ah, ah. but nobody ever told us back then the reputation that shepherds had. You know, shepherds back then were not the most, um, uh, they didn't have the best image or reputation. They were thought of as thieves. They were thought of as not so trustworthy. These were the guys that had a shadowed reputation. They were the dishonest sort of lowlifes in that category, and you can hire them, but you got to watch your back when you hire them. you got to watch your stuff. you got to count it all up. <laughs> Make sure you have all your sheep after you've asked them to take care of them. You see, those, that was the reputation of shepherds. And here they were on this, uh, this Bethlehem hillside, literally in the dark. And we use that term as a metaphor for you're ignorant, right? But the shepherds were in the dark, and they were used to the dark. They would light up a campfire, maybe, you know, bring some alcohol and drink up around that campfire. So, you know, when the angels came, you know, could you imagine sitting on a beautiful, on like a hillside? It's pitch black, and you have a little fire. All you have to do to be filled with wonder is lift your eyes to the skies and go, wow, look at the universe. Look at the stars. That should be enough to fill you with wonder. Like the rocket that, did you guys see the rocket yeah. the other night? Yeah. Okay. How many of you thought, honest now? Yeah. Honest? Honest. This is Christmas Eve at church. How many of you thought that was like a UFO or something like that? <laughs> or, or just kidding. <laughs> did someone raise their hands? All, right. All you got to do is lift up your eyes and there's wonder. But even the shepherds couldn't be filled with wonder. On that beautiful hillside, it took a multitude of heavenly hosts to rip open the sky and say, hey, what's up? I've got good news. And so 
they, their attention finally gets taken by the angels. And the radiance of the heavenly host and the message they brought, it was totally unexpected. It was wonderful. And they were struck with fear and awe, shock and awe. But it wasn't a paralyzing fear, was it? It was a fear that mobilized them to go and share the message. Now listen, the shepherds, they weren't supposed to go anywhere that night. They had a responsibility. They were to take care of their sheep. But when God interrupted their world with wonder, they had to. They had to. They, they were so compelled to answer the invitation. They had to leave behind their nightlife. They had to leave behind the darkness and express and tell and go see what this good news was all about. And then when they got to the stable or when they got to the, you know, a lot of people think it was just an, an upper room or room in the house or a cave or whatever it was where the baby Jesus was, the wonder of God's light, watch this, transformed them from dishonest lowlifes into the first evangelists of the Christmas story. They were changed. The wonder of light can cause us to leave our life in the dark. Did, did you hear what I said? God's wonder the wonder of his gift in Jesus can move us to finally leave our life in the dark. Whatever darkness you've been living in, whatever darkness you've gotten used to, whatever darkness has become normal for you, the wonder of his light invites you out of that darkness. And guess what, man? There's no perfect time you know, some of you are waiting. Oh, I'll just wait till this and that, this and that. Oh, I'll wait till the right moment. I'll just wait till this comes together for my life. Pastor, come and pray for me. And I've heard that people come to, come, people come to me throughout the years. Pastor, pray for me because you know, this one thing needs to happen. Pray that this one thing will happen. Then I'll give my life to God. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. You surrender it all right then and there. You put your full trust in him at that moment. You surrender to the light. You open to the wonder of what he has for you. And you let him lead you out of the dark what he did with the shepherds. And then there are the wise guys, wise men. We call them magi. These men who, uh, these guys were complete opposite of the shepherds, man. They were smart. They were educated. They were the scientists of the ancient world. They studied the skies. They studied the stars. They knew how to read the signs. They regularly watched the heavens. They studied the significance of all of this in the cosmos. And they saw a star that they knew was different. And the Magi knew what the star meant. They were so amazed that they were drawn into a long, arduous journey of seeking God. This is what the wonder of Christ will do for us. I, I wish I could tell you, man, that when you receive Jesus, when you begin this life of faith, that all of a sudden everything is going to get better. And often we come to Jesus because we have the promise that things will get better. Listen, things will get better. God promises that a better world is coming. We know that. But it doesn't happen overnight. 
God invites you to participate with him in remaking the world. That's the gospel, man. It's just not here to receive Jesus and go to heaven. We want you to stick around a while and join the mission of Jesus in remaking the world. That's what this is about. You haven't heard it like that, have you? So stop thinking about salvation as like fire insurance. <laughs> it's not death insurance, folks. It's an invitation to a life-changing journey that can begin right in the middle of your darkest moment. And this is what he does for the wise men. He invites them with his wonder, the wonder of this star blazing in the sky. Some people think it was a comet. We don't know. But they followed it, and it led them on a life-changing journey that ended up in them worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The wonder of light can move you, listen, from just a head knowledge of him into a life experience, an encounter with the reality of God's grace and truth, whose name is Jesus. Something bothers me about our church. I love our church. But something bothers me about us. And it includes me, because I can get this way too. And I've stood up here many, many times and told you this. And I battle it all the time. There is a difference, folks, between Christianity as a world religion and Christianity as a life-giving relationship. We preach the relationship is most important, not the institutional religion. And when we get stuck over here in institutional religion, when we get stuck, this is what I think all of the young people are turned off by nowadays, is the institutional religion that tends to judge me, that tends to condemn me. Listen, Jesus, God so loved, Pastor Romy said it well, God so loved the world that he, his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have, you know it, eternal life, yeah, but do you know the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So if no one is, Jesus isn't condemning the world, then why are you? But he sent his son to save it. So I'm, I'm all about Jesus come and deliver us from institutional religion. Deliver us from a spirit of religion that... It's all about rules and regulations and do this and do that. And those are important. It's important to have boundaries. But when, when the boundary and the rules and regulations become the thing, then you're into religion, man. You're no different than all the other religions. Religion says, I got to do whatever it takes to get to God. But true Christianity says, God did whatever it took to come for us. That's the difference. And when you live your life in that kind of connection with God, it's a whole new world, folks. It's a whole, it's a whole new journey. Some of you grew up in this, and only now, and only in this next year, is God going to show you that it's all about connection to him. That is life. Where does this Christmas Eve find you? Are you losing the wonder? Has your experience of darkness whittled away your hope and courage and trust in God's goodness? 
Maybe some of you, like Mary and Joseph, are experiencing an emotional darkness. Isolated, lonely, doubting, overwhelmed, being misunderstood. Relationships that you care about the most aren't going as well as you would like them to. Maybe you're lonely and sad and hurting because it's Christmas and you've experienced loss over the past year and Christmas just isn't going to be the same for you. Maybe that's where you are today. I, I believe God's light wants to shine on you today. Just like David promises and prays in Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. You don't need to fear today. You're not alone. Tell the person next to you, you're not alone. You're not alone. His name is Emmanuel. God with. God with. God among us. Maybe this Christmas Eve you find yourself way too busy, maybe on the edge of burnout or maybe on the edge of being really bitter about life. And like the shepherds, you've gotten used to the darkness of that. And you didn't know it, but you just turned cynical inside, you know. Ah, here it comes again, another Christmas. Ah, I got to see the family again. Oh, I got to buy the gifts. And it just becomes all obligation, you know. There's a little cynicism growing in you, maybe a little bitterness growing in you. Nothing's really going to change this year. See, how many of you caught yourself thinking like that? The light of God wants to break through and put you on a new trajectory for 2018. He's here to do that. So here's the question this morning. God wants to surprise us with his wonder, the fresh surprise of the wonder of his light and life, the life of his son Jesus. And the correct question really is, are you ready to embrace that wonder? Are you ready to open to that wonder? Are you ready and willing to follow when he says, here's the star of my grace and mercy and truth and direction and purpose? Follow that star. Are you willing to put it all aside to follow He's waiting. That's the beauty about Christmas, man. A holiday like no other where where God becomes a baby. And the invitation of that completely disarms us. That's what he wants to do with you. We go through the year, man, and I, I, I don't know what stuff you've been through, but I guarantee you it's some tough stuff. And that stuff tends to harden us, make us suspicious about other people, maybe close off our hearts to say, I'm never going to trust again, you see. And Christmas, God comes as a baby and says, how, how can you not? Come and see a baby. See? He made himself so very vulnerable. He made himself so very accessible. Not to force us to choose him, but to win us over. Will you open to his wonder? Or, or let me share it to you this way, this illustration. Um, Lately, I've been into this whole, like, astronomy thing, just looking at the, just being filled with wonder at how God made the cosmos, and I was listening to this, uh, this story. Do you guys remember that unmanned space probe 
called Voyager 1. Some of you were alive at that time. 1977, interestingly enough, when the first Star Wars movie was launched. Back in 1977 in the day, um, they built this spacecraft to be unmanned. They sent it into you know, space to explore Jupiter and maybe Saturn. Okay, so this thing goes however many millions of miles away, right? And it's getting there, and it's moving, and <laughs> they even put a record, an LP, on that spacecraft, just in case they would contact any alien life forms, right? It would play a record of all that represents Earth. It's really interesting. Anyway, so Voyager goes out there. It hits Jupiter as planned, takes amazing photographs of Jupiter, and then uses Jupiter's gravitational pull to send it towards Saturn, and all of a sudden, boom, Saturn is incredible, blowing the minds of scientists. And they go, oh, Voyager is still intact. Let's try to hit the next planet, which was, I think it was Uranus. So they send Voyager off to Uranus and its moons. And then we learn a bunch of, then all of a sudden, do you remember the next planet? Neptune, the blue, tent, blue planet. Man, this was crazy. Scientists are just blown away at all the pictures they're getting back from Voyager 1. Well, in February of 1990, the year I graduated from high school, by the way, <laughs> Voyager is speeding through the darkness, moving away from our solar system, moving away from our planet, listen to this, at a, at a speed of nearly 40,000 miles per hour. It's faster than a speeding bullet, folks. It's faster than Superman. Listen, it's blowing by into the darkness, and after 13 years, now having turned the corner, having taken photographs of Neptune, scientists are like, well, what do we do now? And the head scientist on the project named Carl Sagan said, why don't we, as Voyager 1 leaves our solar system or gets ready to hit the edge of our solar system, why don't we have Voyager turn around and take a snapshot? of all the planets. And so, believe it or not, it was a big political thing, but the decision finally got made to turn Voyager around and as it's leaving our solar system to snap photos. So Voyager takes 60 images. You just got this mind-blowing. Each of these images consisted of 640,000 pixels. You know what a pixel is? It's the many little dots that make up a photograph. 640,000 pixels to take these 60 images. Watch this. Voyager 1, at the time it takes this photograph, is almost 4 billion miles from Earth. 4 billion. It takes these pixels, each individual pixel, it takes five and a half hours to download to get to us. Not each individual picture, each individual pixel, five hours. And you complain about having slow Wi-Fi. <laughs> Come on, folks. After months of waiting for the 60 photograph that this thing takes, finally, 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 an image appears. Turn the lights down so you can see this. It was called... The pale blue dot. <laughs> Can you see it? 
It's right there. <laughs> Folks, the scientist who saw that thought it was a speck of dust on the negative. That is the planet Earth from four billion miles away. <laughs> what do you see? <laughs> right? Scientists are like, oh, it's a speck of dust. Exactly. Because on that pale blue dot, there, you can't see any land, no continents, no mountain peaks, no towering cities, no humanity. The lead scientist took the opportunity to share some reflective thoughts on this after they published this photograph in the newspapers. He said this. He said, that pale blue dot <laughs> is our home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of our civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father and hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician. Can you say amen? Right? Every superstar. Every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived on that pale blue dot. And then Carl Sagan says, that mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. <laughs> Listen, folks, Earth is on a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. And all... All of our imagined self-importance, all of our delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, it all fades away, doesn't it, when you see it from that perspective. Then here's the, the thing. There's no doubt that we're really, really small. But the question is, are we merely nothing? Are we just nothing but minuscule like masses of molecules? on this tiny blue speck. Are we intrinsically insignificant? And Carl Sagan, the guy who said these profound words, he went on to say this. He said, our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark, in our obscurity, in all this vastness. Watch this. Here's his, when it's all said and done, after all of that amazing, profound reflection, he says, here's his conclusion. There is no hint, no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Well, thank you, Carl Sagan. I feel depressed today. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. I mean, it's funny how you can be super reflective, right, and then come to the absolutely wrong conclusion. 
I'm here to tell you today that the good news of the gospel says that in fact, someone has come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. On this tiny blue dot, this pale blue dot we call earth, God who breathed the stars into place, who knows all the billions of stars by name, picked one tiny speck to give his life for. Let that put it in perspective for you today. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. For unto us this day in the city of David a Savior has been born and his name is Christ the Lord. John says it this way, in him was life, and that life was the light of man. A Savior has been born, folks. And I wanted you to have that perspective so that you wouldn't be tempted to try to shrink God down to size, to manageable size, but you would be rather invited to embrace what he has given to us, a baby. It's not too hard to embrace a baby. I know some of you are like, no, 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 I don't want to, I might drop it, I might, oh, <laughs> no. Come to the manger this morning with all your brokenness, with all your confusion, with all your failures, with all your mistakes, with all your darkness, and let the wonder of his light shine upon you. Because a Savior has been born. Do you know what that means? Hope can be reborn in you. It, can, it means joy can be reborn. It means peace can happen and be born in you. Righteousness can happen in you. Because a Savior has been born. He wasn't born so you could try your best to try to live up to his standard. He was born to die for your sins because you didn't live up to his standard and to bring his spirit to live in you so you could live in a relationship with him of love and truth and honesty and openness and purpose. That is the wonder of Christmas. This morning, as we prepare for our time of uh, <laughs> candle lighting, it's kind of weird how we got to turn on candles now, right? It's okay. Just I, I want to prepare your heart for this moment. Our church, as we always try to tell you, is a place of belonging. And one thing I believe that creates that belonging at a level that perhaps even the secular world can't um, match is when we together understand that God is our Heavenly Father that makes us part of the same family. And we can come together around him and seek him and share our concerns and pray for one another and bless one another and encourage one another. We don't get a lot of opportunity to do that on Sunday mornings. Some of you do during the week in life groups or whatnot. But this morning, I want our candle lighting time to signify the belonging that we all enjoy because we're part of the family of God. 
And I'm going to lead you, or I'm going to put something up on the screen at this time. Uh, go, um, John, go ahead and put that up there, the candle lighting slide. And I want us to spend some time in prayer this morning before we light our candles, okay? So just listen, get your candles ready. But what I'd like you to do, and I know it's going to be a little difficult because it's kind of a packed room, but I want you to feel the freedom and um, to get together with people that are in your family today. Or if you don't have people from your family, to get together with people you know here in the church, maybe some friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, people that you know uh, well or maybe that you don't know so well. And I just, I want us to break up into some small group, smaller groups, families with families if you're with your family or husbands and wives if you don't have your kids with you and you want to gather in small circles of, you know, maybe minimum of <laughs> three <laughs> or four or five, depending on how large your family is. But I want us to take some time and I want us to pray together this prayer, right? And I'm just going to leave it up on the screen so that you have a guide. But I want us to take a moment and I want us to just come to the Lord together as a family. Hu uh, head of households, husbands, if you're here, this is a good opportunity for you to lead. This will help you kind of lead your family in prayer, all right? Um, those of you who don't, you know, aren't married and you're single or you, you didn't come, with, maybe you have a, a, a friend or two that you can get together with. If you don't have anyone and you feel really uncomfortable, don't worry about it. Just stay seated and just, you know, reflect on this prayer. Pray this over yourself and others. But I want us to pray a prayer that's been based on Ephesians 2.16. It says this, that God would give us spiritual wisdom. This is right out of Ephesians 2. Okay, how many of you need wisdom this year? Oh, man, I'm telling you. You know what wisdom is? Like, you may know, you may know what the right thing is to do, but you don't know how, exactly how to go about it. You may not know the timing of it all. You may know the exact words to say. Wisdom gives you that. I pray that you, you would, God would give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. That's not head knowledge. That's experiential knowledge, that I would grow in my experience of God. The second part of that would be that we would pray that our hearts would be flooded. Say flooded overflowing with the light of the Holy Spirit so that we'll understand what he has called us to do with our lives. How many of you know what you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> God has a purpose for your life. You may not know what to do with your life right now. He can show it to you. Let's pray that. And then lastly, we pray that we would experience the incredible greatness of Christ's resurrection power as we trust him in all the areas of our life. Listen, let these next few minutes, as you gather in your groups today, be a time of blessing one another. Okay, this is not a time to pray, you know, judgment prayers on one another. God, you know, get them back for doing that. No, you want to be gracious and spread the love and grace of Jesus in your circle. And you can pray this or any form of this or anything that comes to your heart with each other in your circles, okay? I know this is uncomfortable, but listen, it's, it's Jesus' birthday, and I believe this is something that will honor him today. Yes? Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.